I'm actually joined once again with Pam from Between Two Worlds. We're going to discuss uh, Betty Briggs and throughout all her life from ranging from the secret history up until season three. But before we get to that, I'll hand over the mic so Pam can introduce herself again. Hi, I'm, my name is Pam Terjek. I'm from Between Two Worlds, the, one of the admins from Between Two Worlds group and uh, Facebook group. And I'm also a writer for their blog, for the group blog. I am glad to join Colin again after I've been here for the Albert episode and the Josie episode so it's it's an honor for me to join him for this episode because I love Betty Briggs she's one of my favorite and most important characters for me so I guess to the first place to start off is in the secret history because uh, according to this at least the Briggs family they moved to Twin Peaks in July of 1982 primarily if not explicitly for uh, Garland's special assignment of uh, looking into the woods Dougie Milford even wrote about it in the Twin Peaks post for that month was there anything that we should kind of discuss about them as like a family at this point, even with the limited information that we have? I think we could say that they, um, it seems like they are already a big family, already a close-knit family unit by this point, because you could see that in the article, they mentioned how that they moved in together and give them all a big howdy, you know, for, for, for them, if you see them on the street. Um, and that means that they do things together. And I always think that it's interesting that the Briggs family embraces family activities really well and does things together. It's, it's very much a family cohesion for the Briggs that I, that I ra- rather enjoy seeing in a family. And I wonder also if, because of Laura's lack of family cohesion, that was one of the things that drove Bobby apart from the family. It's, it's something that maybe tempted him away from him, him away from the family unit. And it's, but it, but I do see that the family unit is a very important thing for the Briggs family. I would absolutely agree. And I think one of the things that's worth addressing about Bobby, because I think at least in the secret history it says he's 12 at the time, is that this is uh, before he really meets Laura. This is uh, when the family is, like you said, like rather tight-knit because Garland, near the end of The Secret History, when he's having one of his conversations with Dougie Milford, one of the things that he does bring up is that he looked the other way, even when Betty would bring it up, by and large because he was a straight-A student. He was a, you know, he was like incredibly athletic. So it had to start somewhere. That like that like united family unit had to start somewhere with The Secret History. And I'm glad that we started with that point that there was a time where they were close together before there was like a rift of sorts for a time. And you can notice, though, that I don't mean to jump the gun and going into season three already, but I just want to kind of foreshadow a point that we'll probably make later on is that the Briggs family, that Betty and Bobby were the first ones to really heal after after this thing, because the Haywards broke apart. The Of course, the, the Palmers are all dead except for Sarah. And the rest of the families all broke apart, except for the Briggs. Betty and Bobby are still really close. That is actually a really good point. And uh, I guess that, that that's a good move uh, to move on to the access guide, because while the Briggs's are all mentioned in some capacity, I think the one that heavily pertains to Betty the most is near the end when it's showing all the religious denominations of Twin Peaks. 
And the more I look at it, the less it makes sense on any regard for any of these characters. At least what I have listed is that it's pretty much explicit in the show and also the secret history that they are explicitly a Catholic family, but they are listed as Lutheran in, in the Access Guide. And if we're going by that logic, at least what's written in the Access Guide is that they attended the Church of the Good Shepherd, which the Palmers and the Jennings also attended. Which, by the way, the only thing I could think of was that I can only imagine what it's like having to deal with Hank at church when you're like with Leland or anything of that nature. I, I just feel like that's just like a, that's got to be a real riff for a Sunday. But I wasn't sure. But I remember you you actually uh, uh, before we recorded said you had some strong opinions on how this was depicted. Did you have any particular stance you want to start off with? Yeah. Um. Well, like I said, like I mentioned before we recorded, uh, the fact that I think that the access guide was badly written and had forgotten a lot of the aspects of what the cast really is and what the cast really um, exactly they talk about because the Jennings are Catholic too, or else why else would any Blackburn be in a, be in a, in a convent? <laughs> So the, the Jennings are Catholics. Uh, so it, it, it that's the, so I they they often they probably forgot who was what and where, and also they mentioned that there is a Catholic church in town, and they mentioned that there is this they they mentioned that they gave the list of services and I didn't write it down because I I just didn't at this point, but they mentioned that the masses there's this whole list of masses and then they list below the communion services, in the Catholic Church. Mass is the, is is communion, so you wouldn't have a separate communion service at, because of uh, because of that unless they lack a priest. But on Sundays, this whole list of masses would probably be with communion as well. And they also said, bring your coffee and your donuts. You don't drink coffee during a Catholic mass. You eat. actually it is it is very much a rule that um, you uh, you don't eat an hour before you go to mass. You don't eat or drink anything except for maybe water or a medicine of some sort, unless you're under medication an hour before mass, because you want to have your, st your, your stomach clear of anything before you receive Jesus. <laughs> so um, that I, I am a communion minister at my church, I'm an extraordinary, extraordinary minister of the, of the Eucharist at my church. So I know how these rules work and I know how things work. And a lot of the way that the, that the Catholic uh, parish is mentioned in Twin Peaks looks a little weird for somebody who has it was been practicing all of her life. <laughs> and uh, one of the side notes that's worth mentioning, and uh, we'll come to whether it's like poorly written or we can kind of have it come around to be having a backstory for the access guide. But one thing I thought was interesting is that Reverend Clarence Brocklehurst, the uh, reverend that we see at Laura Palmer's funeral, and of course the wedding with uh, Dougie and Lana, in this. It says that he's Episcopalian. And the thing is that that makes it what makes it interesting is that he talks about how he was so close with Laura. But if we're going with the access guide, this church was attended by, uh, as stated, the Horns and the Haywards, not the Palmers. So I think that it's just how there's this, at least this whole section is just like really far off the mark in terms of faith, in terms of like what these, uh, what these people practice. And that's what I'm going into, like I was saying before with Hank Jennings, where Norma and Annie, you know, we can say what we want about them, but Hank does couldn't care less about this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, like I, one of the things I was you were saying about before we recorded about the fact that you think it was just like a, a chamber of commerce thing. Let's get tourism up, and then I responded, like I said, maybe this was uh, written 
um, under the encouragement of a pre-Civil War Ben who didn't care anything about the truth. So um, maybe, and he never really paid attention to it, the real needs of his neighbors. So, you know, it might that might be the, the whole thing about the Axis guy being very much a proponent of somebody who doesn't care. <laughs> No, absolutely. But uh, I guess, you know, since we've established the faith of uh, the Briggs family and Betty, I think the next best part to go off is to the missing pieces, because even though it's like really just one or two quick scenes with them, I feel like there's a lot that says about the relationship that Betty has with Garland, because when we first see her, Betty, of course, answers the door for Laura, and then she's knitting while listening to Garland read the Book of Revelations. And then uh, in a similar enough scene, when uh, Laura leaves, uh, you can see that Betty, she's actually looking at uh, Garland quite lovingly uh, now that she's finished with her quilt, like really honing in on his uh, uh, reading aloud of the Book of Revelations. Did you want to go off about anything about how this relationship was and how a couple that's been married for this long, how they interact and what this says about them? Well... I could tell that they um, take their, because one of the, going again into the Catholicism of this of this couple, is that they are strongly Catholic. And that's one thing I really, that really touches me, in a way, because um, I too have a very strong connection to my Catholicism. If I ever rank, if I ever identify myself as a person, Catholic, woman, person who is a member of my family, my career, or where I live, and then would probably be fifth would be to a Twin Peaks fan. So, but the first thing I always mention is, is my Catholicism is, is that's the first thing I always mention is as a self-identifier. So being of a strong Catholic family, uh, strong Catholic background, strong Catholic faith, the thing that marks me, it, that, see, that I see is very nice is that they share their faith together, like my family does. We pray together. We uh, share prayers together. We listen to scripture together whenever we're we're we're, met, we're we're doing thing. We go to church together. We experience. We go to church events together. So it's something that we uh, that we are all involved in because it's uh, we always believe a family that prays together stays together. And what's so I think that it's really nice that they took their devotion seriously to read the bible and, re- and be involved in the scripture together and be involved in that in the in the growing of their souls together because in the sacrament of marriage it's the it's not just two separate it's it's the two becoming one and them and and it's becoming this one unit of them cleaving to each other and i think that that's showing in that scene is the fact that they are they are the two becoming one they are very much a, a unit working together and one of the things I think is rather interesting is that if we're looking at the dates of when the, when the show happened and the course of the show, this is happening smack dab in the season of Lent for Catholics. So this is a season of repentance, a season of thoughtfulness, a season that I'm going to be going into soon for myself. Um, the season of when we are looking at our souls rather pointedly. And um, seeing them read the Bible is making me think that they are choosing to choosing their Lenten activity together, that they are reading scripture together as a way to grow their spirit, way to grow their soul. So it's, it's not weird for me to see them reading the scripture together, maybe that they chose this as something to do during the course of the season. You know, turning off the television, turning off their music or putting kind of as a nice light music in the background and reading the Bible together as a contemplative activity. 
Yeah, I like what you said about how Garland and Betty, how they, they have that close-knit relationship because of, like, through their faith and how they are, are on the same page in this regard. The one thing I like is that about this scene is how much it perfectly transitions into their first scene with the pilot. Because you see in the next morning, it's, of course, it's before Garland goes into work, but there's just something about the body language of the two of them where he's kind of reading the newspaper and she's like, I forget if she's quite massaging his his back, but there's clearly, like, this nurturing nature with her. And, of course, you know, uh, everything about Laura Palmer being killed will throw a wrench into that. But was there anything else you want to say about uh, about Betty and Garland that morning and uh, where they're at in terms of, I guess, maybe less about the relationship now, more how they feel and what they know or don't know about Bobby? Well, less about the relationship, but I do like the fact that they're sharing the morning together. You know, we, we often see the couples in marriages kind of go off in their different directions in the morning, but they, they're sharing their morning together. But it's, it's, it is kind of um, sad that they don't work, know where Bobby is, but they, but they can guess that he's, he's at, that they, at least they know that he could be at football practice. So they do at least call ahead of time, but they, there is, is this, uh, the relationship with Bobby, they, they they are trying they are definitely trying to be um, involved in his life and they are definitely trying to um, be somewhat knowledgeable about where he is. It's just like he's been so twisted in his brain right now that he doesn't know which way is up. So the steps that they will take later on in the se- in the series in season one will hopefully help will are, are seeing them trying to help him out but it's 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 a it's a hard long road to start the process one thing i did want to mention and uh, we'll go into this once we get uh, more further into season two but you know you think of how with twin peaks where all these people have like either double lives or they're having secrets the one thing i like about betty and garland is that they're pretty transparent with each other where uh, Garland, he always, you know, so when he sees Bobby in the season two premiere, Bobby asks about what he's doing for work, says that's classified. Once again, we'll say more when we get to season two, but there's some about the way Betty, where you can tell that she has a good enough knowledge on how, on how, like, what his work is. And uh, also, there's some about the dynamic where she just accepts that he'll disappear for a set period of time and mm-hmm. seems to know how to deal with it. Um, yeah, I, I just want to point out is that there is some about uh, the, this relationship where, of course, for obvious reasons, Garland can't and won't tell people, but he's comfortable enough to let Betty know uh, enough for any contingency plan. The whole thing that I that that's one of the things I really love about this, because you look at other, other marriages in Twin Peaks, um, you have, of course, the Palmers who are eternal secrets from each other. They, none of them share anything. They don't share a single bit of private information. They keep everything, you know, they think they have almost the most shallow conversations with each other. And you can even, we can even tell in the diary that there is never any moment of deep conversation with, with, the, with all the three of them. There's almost all this shallowness because they're trying to keep the fact that they are all keeping secrets from each other. Then you look at the Haywards who have the secret that they have, the fact that Donna isn't Will's biological daughter. And they have that that secret from keeping them from keeping it from their children. But they're also, it seems like they're afraid to talk about it amongst themselves. So they're they're keeping almost they're keeping they're they're not even talking about the one secret they share. And then you look at the Hornses, and again, secrets abound because Ben hate Ben Ben is just a horrible husband and 
and so, and he chose a wife that is very much un, would be an uninvolved wife, just be the 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 person who would provide the veneer of civility to him. So you look at other, and then of course the the, the problems of the Jennings and the and the uh, marriages and the uh, the Hurley problems and all that stuff. All of those marriages are all troubled, except for the Briggs family, the Briggs, mar- Briggs marriage. The Briggs marriage is. Solid because they share things with each other. That the Briggs marriage marriage is solid because they are always um, communicating with each other. You know, they do realize that they that they must keep the lines of communication open. Open. I love the fact that uh, Garland and Betty are on the same page with each other, and I think it's important to set that precedent because the next scene we see with Betty, it's uh, of course Laura Palmer's been killed, and uh, the town is uh, d- just devastated. And we're seeing that Bobby's kind of at like a lowest point because he has a whole lot of stuff going on in terms of owing Leo money. And uh, of course, uh, you know, what I was saying before is that Garland and Betty, they're very tight knit with each other. But with Bobby being closed off, this is like the most out of control they feel is that Mm -hmm. you have Betty where she says, we're here for you, Bobby, in a very sincere manner. And Garland, you know, this is a scene I feel like low key divides people is that he, he's talking about where uh, Bobby's about to put in, you know, put, put a cigarette in. And he's talking about, oh, it's natural for a teenager to rebel. And then he slaps him so hard for almost laying the cigarette that, like, this flies into Betty's meatloaf. Do you think, was there anything about the, the way that their methodology of parenting, how they differed, and how, the, how, the, how to approach Bobby, was there anything that you had in mind for this scene? I think that when he said it's natural for a teenager to rebel, he was trying to be patient with Bobby. And there was a moment, I think, when he snapped. And I, I, I don't know what the conversation would have been like afterwards, but I would have thought that I think that he might have regretted it. There might so that I think that maybe led to the family therapy session later on in this in in the in the season, because I think that he would not have struck his son if it was just one inch too much, because he has I think come to. Uh, a sad realization that he's further from his son than he thought. He knew he knew he was having problems with Bobby. I knew he knew that he was being rebellious, and you could even tell that the scene before in the missing pieces kind of does that. He kind of said, you know, they make fun of Bobby being in the basement where he belongs, you know. And so they kind of they kind of realize that he's going through a rebellious stage. Okay, fine, but with Bobby now causing a bar fight, with Bobby now smoking openly in front of his parents you know or not even bothering to put it out or even bothering to go into the basement with that thing and after repeated beggings by by Lee, by um by garland sorry to say put that cigarette out it's not, you know put that cigarette out it's like you're doing it right in front of me now come on so i think that that i think something just kind of snapped in garland that was unnatural for him and I think he will. I think he probably regretted it afterwards. I think that's probably why Betty tried to soften it by saying, "We're here for you," because she knows that this is out of character for him, and she knows that this is kind of now I'm going to have to mediate the situation a little bit because I need to. I need to be one of the things that a good Catholic woman like her is. She would probably be the one to calm the situation. So I see that is the calming of the situation. I would agree with that as well, because uh, you, you just with her facial expression after the cigarette slapped out, I got the sense as well that this is a very out of character moment for Garland and that mm-hmm. this is not this is the exception, not the rule. 
this is a bit of a shift from how that dynamic is, but I'm thinking of the scene before they go to Laura's funeral where it's mostly Bobby and Garland talking things out, but uh, Betty, she comes in and she's a little bit perky where it's like uh, she wants to put on a good as good of a face as possible, but also she kind of knows that there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been quite talked out yet. Uh, was there anything about um, about anything revolving around the funeral scene with uh, the Briggs and how Betty factors into it? Um, I like the scene. I like. I do look at that scene as we're seeing more of the real Garland, you know, uh, the, the patient man. Because if this was the if if we if that if that slap was in character or in his nature, he would have slapped Bobby then too. But he didn't. So you, you you tell he's he's grasping at the table, saying, "Okay, count to ten. Let's let's try to be calmer because, you know, he's 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 not a toxic man at all. So you know, bringing toxic masculinity in it, he's not a toxic man. He shares his feelings, he shares his emotions. He's he's very much a a good a good man when it comes to that. And so so seeing him being very calm and very restrained and trying to be the good father to this this um, rebellious boy is 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 showing great restraint on his part because I think in a way Bobby was being far more rebellious and far more of a, of somebody that is slap worthy in that scene than in the cigarette scene. To be honest with you, I I I, I was saying that that was an inexcusable amount of yelling back at his father for being for allowing his father especially since his father is now trying to be really supportive of him so with betty coming in again trying to be happy but i think also her putting the happy pin on and saying is everybody ready i think that because one laura i i'm not sure i this is again something that i i kind of think about frequently is how close are the briggs and the palmers together you know, do, do they, is this, um, is Laura just seeing Bobby, but you don't, do you, you often see um, thinking of Garland and Betty going over the, the Palmer's house and sitting and having coffee or tea with them. And I'm, I'm wondering if that Bobby and uh, the, the, sorry, the Briggses aren't that close to the Palmer's. And that's the reason why she's putting on a kind of a happier face because she's looking at death as, this is the transition point for someone who might have been a little sad and she was obviously murdered, but let's, let's try to be positive about this death because it's, a, it's, a, it's, it, she, she is now, we, we all, all know that she is suffering. We all do, do know that Laura had a problems, but let's be positive about the fact that her problems are now gone because she's dead. Um, and she is now in heaven, hopefully. And that, um, Leland and that uh, but I just often again wonder how close Laura um, Laura the Briggses and the Palmers were to the point where this might not have been a horrible occasion for those two for, for they're they're here because Bobby this is Bobby's girlfriend but they're not here because they're friends the Palmers that's one thing I thought of is that uh is that I think of when I think of like the closeness of the Briggses and then the Palmers I think of the scene Fire Walk Me where Leland, when he goes up to Laura and clearly violating her personal space and takes out her best friend's necklace, and he's like, he says, like, did Bobby give you this? Or is this is this from someone else new? And there's something about how Sarah, it doesn't even cross her mind, but Leland can pick up on this one thing. And I've had people who've uh, agreed or disagreed, but there's always something about how Leland can be perceptive enough to be able to know that that's not something that Bobby would do. 
has always made me think that he would be weird in some capacity towards Bobby and that maybe Garland or Betty would have been in on it. And then also, I think the other one that's worth mentioning is that in the secret diary, uh, Garland and Betty are, I don't think even really mentioned at all. So I think it's just like how that there's a distinct passivity. And I know that the secret diary is more of her darkest secrets versus her normal times, but there, I never got an implication from that either that the two families really intersected that much. I think it was just like one was like, oh, Garland is the military man. He's in the Air Force and Leland Palmer's the friendly lawyer. And there was just that very surface level interaction if they did see each other. Well, and, and maybe also because maybe after their first meeting together, they, they obviously they had to have some kind of interaction with each other because their children are seeing each other, but um, seeing each other publicly. Um, so I would think that first time Leland probably laid eyes on Garland and Garland sees through people that rather easily. He's the kind of person that, you know, I kind of see him squinting his eyes, looking at Leland and saying something's off about him. And maybe Leland kept him at, uh, at an arm's length purposefully. So that way um, Le- Garland didn't get to know the family too well. So that way things could not ha- could happen. Because I've had a funny feeling that if Garland and Betty knew the, 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 the Palmers far better, they might be interventionist. I would see them as being very interventionist about what's, what's going on. They would know, they would definitely know what was happening with Laura if they spent too much time with the, with the Palmers. And they would say, get this girl out of this situation. <laughs> the next scene that I do have, though, is that uh, we did bring it up briefly, but I think at least the last scene we have for the first season with Betty is the family therapy with Dr. Jacoby, where it's like you were saying before, is that I had it written down that it was mostly, if not entirely, for the trajectory Bobby was in. But since you did mention how, we we did talk about how out of character the slap was, that that was probably a straw that broke the camel's back. Did you have any uh, particular stances on how this family therapy went and uh, how Jacoby was a factor for it? Well, unfortunately, Jacoby is the only port in the storm. I, I would suppose they would choose some list. They would, if they had a plethora of choices, they probably would have not chose Jacoby because, but since Jacoby is the only psychiatrist in town, they, they have to choose somebody who is obviously not the correct person for the situation because we know Jacoby is far more interested in, in Bobby's interaction with Laura and how, and, and, and especially Laura's side of the things. He wants to know all of Laura's secrets. And the fact that he was, that he inveigled and kind of tricked Bobby rather unprofessionally into divulging his inner feelings about Laura was, is very much unethical. But I think the beginning and when he said that, when he, when the two of them were, when Bob, when, when, um, when Garland and um, Betty are still in the room, that there is this uh, sense that they want to work on things. They aren't above seeking somebody, an outside help, which is something that is very laudable in them. And again, also very Catholic, because if because we know that if, if there is something that is happening outside the realms of spiritual, we we say seek seek help. You know, it's not we're not we're not the we're not the faith that says if there's something wrong with you physically, pray about it. You know, go to the doctor for goodness sakes. If there's something wrong with you mentally, don't pray about it. Go to a, go to a psychiatrist. Go to find help because so we are we are of a faith that encourages doctor visits, and we are also also of the faith that encourages psychological help of a 
professional nature if, if it is needed. So I do see that as a very Catholic move on their part too, that they would seek the outside help of, uh, of a professional to um, start the healing process of whatever healing is necessary because we are all broken. And they know that at this point that they are a broken family and they need, need to start healing it. And unlike the other families who did not seek uh, some kind of help, you know, it would have been very nice that once Donna started asking questions of her father, instead of Doc Hayward saying, just drop it, maybe, yeah, we need to tell her and then we'll need to get somebody in to help the family heal from this situation. Instead of saying, just drop it, because we're not telling you that this whole thing. And, but, and it ended up in destroying their family. But the fact that he, they know that something's broken now, and it's been a couple of days, let's try to heal this situation is very good of the Briggs to start doing. And I think it, again, it starts, it, it really shows how they're a family that, that really wants to talk about healing and forgiveness and, and, and let's move on and let's, let's keep the love in the family and let's keep God in the family. Yeah, that I would agree with as well, because uh, I, I one of the things I was thinking about with Jacoby in particular in this scene is that you, you, we did, you did bring up before is that it's there's a lot of violation of doctor patient confidentiality and presumably like a few HIPAA laws with that as well. Well, HIPAA really wasn't, you know, HIPAA really wasn't there in 1989, but still there was a lot of ethical violations at least. But yeah, the uh, the thing I thought was interesting is that he does talk about how there's the one-on-one sessions with Jacoby, starting with Bobby. And I, again, I would agree with you about how with Laura, that was uh, that was uh, Jacoby's prime interest. So do you ever think that like with his uh, with his one-on-one session with Garland or Betty? Because uh, the thing is that Jacoby, he's very established where he's very creepy and very plain sight. And we were mentioned before about how Betty and Garland, they, they can like see right through this sort of thing. Do you think that uh, Jacoby was able to basically embellish a lot of the session after that? Or do you think that he did a similar, I mean, not similar, but did a cross-examination some capacity with them about Laura? Um, I think his sessions with, with Betty and Garland um, after the session with Bobby would have been very superficial because he's the kind of person that would know who knows the secrets. Uh, Jacoby knows who knows the secrets of town and who knows Laura the best. Since he did hear his conversations, you know, he did receive those tapes. He did receive all of that stuff about, the, you know, know what Laura is, is talking about. So it, considering the fact that she didn't bring up the major and, and um, Betty a lot in her diary or a lot in mentions, she probably doesn't, he probably realizes that their relationship was probably very superficial. So he probably wouldn't have brought it up like very you know, very much vocally. So I think he probably kept the whole interaction with them on the, their one-on-one sessions very superficial, which is probably why they stopped seeing him. You know, they probably said, okay, we have we don't have anybody to go to in town. Let's try to start handling this a little bit more. Let's take our time. You know, Betty and, and Garland got together and said, okay, let's take our time. Let's do this slowly. And the whole thing that happened afterwards is is um, that, well, that was probably two or three days before his vision so the vision you know maybe he prayed about it and said god get me something to help my son you know and maybe god supplied the vision saying okay he's gonna be fine <laughs> to wrap up before we get to season two is that yeah with jacoby is that if they had better options i feel like uh, betty and garland would absolutely go for something else because according to the secret history 
where uh, Garland, he talked about where he's Catholic, but also, or I think with his parents that they're Catholic, but they were also Bohemians at heart. And I, I always kind of took it as that Betty would be like almost like a birds of a feather type of situation. But the thing is that Jacoby's like really far off the mark. And if you look at the stuff in the secret history, it really shows that his beliefs and then the Briggs's beliefs like do not align at all. Well, the the Briggs's were again um, my Catholic background. They're probably very much embraced Vatican too. You know, there's this there's this um, bit of church history before 1960 something. Uh, the 1960s, the church was very much, uh, very much uh, the conservative institution that you would see. Uh, the 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 altar was facing away from the, you know, you, the, the 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 priest did the did had the mask with his back turned towards the people. Um, the people weren't really loud on the altar. You know, it was very much of the priest's thing, and uh, it was then the church and the mass was done completely in Latin. And in the 1960s, there was this open wide, the doors let the fresh air in and was called Vatican II. And it was this whole big church council, which made the mass in English, turned the altar towards everybody, um, got further laity participation in the services. So I have a funny feeling that both Garland and Betty were very much Vatican II Catholics. And probably that was a proponent of them from their parents who were also probably very much in support of something like Vatican II. And um, very much something that was hoping for something like that I can shoot to happen. And uh, that, for this next part, though, this is a bit of a jump, but I really don't think Betty's in any scenes up until this. But the next thing I have listed is after Garland's disappearance, Betty is actually, she's in, in, enough in the know of Garland's assignment to know that it's significant that he disappeared in the woods. And we were mentioned before earlier is that it is interesting how she, along with Bobby, can accept that Garland can disappear and return at random intervals. Was there anything about the scene about Garland's initial disappearance, like specifically in this moment, that was worth addressing? Well, it, I think it's less to do with their, the fact that they are in a in, in a in a in a good religious solid religious marriage, but also the fact that he is a soldier. You know, it, it, this, the fact that he is, uh, he, she married a military man and his battle is not with, uh, with a person, with a, with a foreign entity that is, of, that is, that is knowable, like another country, another physical sovereign country. His, his battle within the air force is with something unknown. So she knows that he, that the times he is called away and the times he disappears are times when he's going off to battle. So she she she's getting into the scene. She knows that she's gotten into a marriage with a military man that is that has a far different enemy than normal military men do. But it's it it is um it is a fight. So I think that's that's to do with the military uh, being a military spouse. You know I do know some military spouses and the fact that they um that that's a similar feel to them whenever they whenever their husbands or their their spouses or or their husbands or wives are deployed is very much a similar feel. So that that is something that is is very a marked thing for me when it comes to military the military side of Garland, and but the thing that I uh, I often um, point out is that line that she says when she's talking with Cooper and Harry about there it's it's, it's she it's, I'm, I'm heavily paraphrasing here but I'm saying that but if she said about something about him it's hard for it to be mar- married to it I certainly no manual to be you know certainly no manual that comes with it. And the fact that they know that they, that the, the fact that another thing about her being in it, her knowing that her marriage is a very important thing, it's a sacramental union, is that she chooses the love every day. 
is that she chooses to be in love with this man every day because she knows it's a difficult marriage to be in, not because he's a horrible man. Like the contrary, he's the probably the one of the best men in that in this show. He is somebody to aspire to being like. But um, it's a difficult union because the fact that his work does take him away frequently. And the fact that his that there that he has a does have a higher calling to this 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 vocation of, of battling the the um the supernatural evils in the world. And she knows that there is no manual to be married in so, it, so she so she doesn't allow her frustrations over the um the necessity that Garland has this job. And but she chooses the lo- to love him and continue loving him and continue to be invested in this marriage. And so does he. But it's this higher calling of his that she knows that she has to she has to play into. One thing that I thought was interesting about this scene, though, is that I don't know if it would necessarily be a role reversal, but I did think it was interesting is that Bobby returns home. This is right before Garland uh, reappears. And um, she's uh, expressing doubt about Garland uh, being able to return. And Bobby thinks it's just kind of a normal, like, again, like I was saying before, is that they just accept that he will return. Did you have anything uh, about, like, why they would, why she would feel like it was different this time? Was it something about where he disappeared? Did it have to do with something pertaining to the White Lodge or something about Cooper's involvement? Maybe when, maybe his previous disappearances were more explainable. Maybe he, maybe he kind of said, maybe there was kind of like, okay, I need to disappear. I, I'm disappearing this time because I'm going off and doing something completely normal. But this is the first time that he's completely disappeared without, a, without an explanation of why this is like, okay, I, I'm not going off and doing this thing, um, supernatural evil, but still it's kind of natural. There's something that there's an actual place he's gone to. She probably knows the, the exact place, but he, she, but this is like where, I don't know where he's gone. There's, it's not, it's, it's a weird place. I have no clue. So the fact that she does, that she's having doubts is, is completely natural. It's again, one of those cases where um, I would imagine that this, if a, if again, a military spouse being married to somebody in black ops, you know, who, who has to go on secret missions and not knowing where this person is at any time. No, or we can imagine like I was watching, um, I think it was oh elite, the the new league of their own TV series a couple of months ago, and there was this um this woman who was getting her letters back letters to, from her husband um, who was away at during World War II, and almost every other word was so she honestly did not know where he was because every other letter every other word was opened by the censors when blacked out because he she he's on he's somewhere secret that nobody can know about. So, and she was experiencing frustration over not knowing where he was. This might step away a little bit from Faith and more so into the esoteric, but one of the things I thought was interesting about this scene is the white owl lamp that Betty is sitting in next to. Did you think there was anything just like, maybe less so about uh, about uh, Catholicism, more in the Twin Peaks mythos, but do you think there's any bearing about that owl presence and how that's, that was in the scene before Garland did return? rather sarcastically just throwing an owl in there just because <laughs> you know we, we 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 often just see owls or 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 you know the fact that maddie is wearing a blue rose uh uh robe before she will before she experienced sees the blood appear in the carpet and you know, sometimes they just throw in things i think because it it, it it is of the same aesthetic you know we do we do need to see an owl every once in a while we do need to see uh 
uh, a blue nose every once in a while just remind us that that is a thing in the show just kind of keep that that imagery in our heads so it's I think it's just by throwing it in for the sake of of it, of it being the aesthetic yeah there's definitely a couple scenes in season two I think for me it's like there's that short-lived period where they're trying to make Bobby and Audrey an item where uh, it shows that there's all the candles out and there's a lot of owls that's one where I was like okay that's just kind of thrown in there but I think there's just something I always found interesting about being like a white owl and then there's the vague connection of uh, Garland being in the White Lodge. That was something that I always kind of thought was interesting about like of all the stuff pertaining to the owls, that was the one that I found the most interesting. But uh, I guess the one thing that is, you know, since we've been talking about it for a bit, is that when Garland does return shortly after that, uh, there's some about like the relief that she shows. It's like we were saying before, is that's like in the missing pieces in the pilot where... You, there's some about their body language where it's like they've been in this long loving relationship and there's some nice to see and I, honestly charlotte stewart and it's really a shame because i remember she actually gave up on watching the show at a certain point which is sad because i think this is one of her best scenes both in terms of how she feels about the absence of garland how she feels when she sees him and yeah i just i absolutely love charlotte stewart this is like probably next to the scene in season three this is probably my favorite scene with her about like the whole family unit of the Briggs. Oh, it's one of my favorite scenes too. And I also like the scene at the very last season, the very, la- very last episode of that season too, because they're, they're cuddling with each other. And when we've, we've seen Twin Peaks couples reunite after long periods of absences, you know, we've had Catherine and um, Pete, you know, and Catherine and, and when, and, and, and granted she was underneath, you know, a, a large bear to make of being told Jamora. But at the same time, when he realizes it's Catherine, he is still kind of, you know, you kind of feel like she's kissing him, but he's not kissing her back. And there's like almost like an ang, like maybe there's a bit of an anger there that you didn't, you didn't choose to share this with me as, as a husband, you know, you still think of me as somebody that you can't share your life with. But again, other, other couples that have been long absences are the same are the kind of people that you you you, know, you see them reunite and there's really no feeling whatsoever there's no feeling of love or like closeness or intimacy they want to be intimate immediately they, they she throws her arms around him and she kisses him and he kisses her back and they 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 they, they hug each other and they're embracing and it just it just feels like that's the way that that should be. That is truly a beautiful, beautiful scene. It's, 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 it's something that you wished happened, you know, more frequently in the world is that this, uh, this couple is just beautiful together. I, that I would agree as well is that, uh, is that we do see that with their scene in the season two finale. One of the things I do have written down about it, however, is, um, is that when Jacoby shows up with Sarah because uh, the thing is that when Sarah sits down, we see just a close-up of Grace Zabriskie's face and a reverse shot of Don Davis, where obviously they're the focal points of the scene, because I know people always have different depictions on it, but I think that uh, Sarah Palmer is possessed for at least a few days by this point. And uh, so everything about uh, about like Sarah Palmer saying that they're in the Black Lodge with Dale Cooper, and it seems like Garland, he has a sense of, you know, he understands. But I think there's something fun about thinking of, like, one, what Jacoby could be thinking, but uh, more importantly with this episode, what Betty could be thinking. Because for Jacoby, he has no idea. He's just kind of, uh, he's kind of in his own thing at this point. But Betty, she knows enough about Garland. And do you think that she had a sense of what this meant for him, like, in terms of his fate in the subsequent days? Or 
Do you think that she was a little like caught off guard with this as well? I think that she was probably caught off guard, yes, but also maybe a little worried. But at the same time, now he's going again. You know, he just came back to me and now he has to go again. Or hopefully this would this way, you know, we don't know exactly what, you know, how long she's going to be missing him. You know, the, the fact that he may have to go, the fact that he may not have to go. There's a lot of unsurety about what will be happening at that scene. You know, we and we did get, you know, whenever I think it was in conversations of Mark Foster was some other conversation with another creator. I, I'm not sure it was Bob or Bob Ingalls or uh, Harley Payton that if there was a season three right after season two, Garland would be very highly involved in rescuing Cooper from the Black Lodge. So hopefully at that point, Garland would have survived. You know, if, if we did get a subsequent season three, Don Davis would still be alive. You know, it does play into, it does play into an account that Don Davis is passed away. And we, and so we did have to have a death in that, in this, in this, in this thing. And, and, and it did, does make sense that it's close to the, um, the, the disappearance of Cooper, you know, um, and, and the whole transformation of, and the whole splitting of Cooper in half and the whole Black Lodge incident, because it does make sense. It's sad to know that it was so close to his first, to his, to his mo more recent disappearance as well, that she didn't have that much time with him left um you know that she only had about a, about a good four or five or you know, about the two weeks left with his her husband before he had to disappear again and quote unquote die uh, but i think that should a season three have happened right after season two that we probably would have gotten him back in some way and there would have been a return another return scene where he was now saying okay and I think maybe we would have also gotten a goodbye scene with them saying oh, goodbye I've got to go to war I've got to go to do this I'll be back and then we would have gotten them back again so there would have been a more surety when it comes to that then we don't know you know then then what couldn't have happened due to the fact that we didn't get a season three right after a seat right after season two and that we had to wait 25 years and the subsequent death of the actor we're getting to the final dossier now that we're in the post season two but before season three uh when the when cooper's doppelganger shows up uh garland sees through it right away the thing is that garland he tells betty one, he's about, he's about to go up to the mountain to just get rid of everything because of uh, because of the Cooper doppelganger. But he does tell her at some point about the visit from Bobby Hawk and uh, Truman. Of course, they don't know. He doesn't know about Frank Truman at this point. But yeah, I thought that was something that was uh, kind of interesting. And also, uh, the thing I thought was a little more pressing to bring up is that uh, the whole thing with his corpse is that it's like a burnt corpse in a car, and there's some teeth as remnants. Now, this is a scene that I still think about and I've never quite been settled on, but I guess the fundamental question I have is, do you think Betty saw right through it that Garland was alive? Uh, or do you think that she genuinely thought he was dead uh, this whole time? I seem torn with that one, too. I'm torn with that one, too. Um, part of me thinks that if she thinks that he's still alive, you know, it's a, it's a weird, it's an awfully weird reaction that that she has when it comes, when he, that Bobby has when season three upon after seeing his uh, seeing that picture of Laura and telling what happened in the subsequent days after yeah, Cooper was the last person to see my dad alive. But I think that if she knows that he's dead, so I, I'm 
so I, I would suppose that if there was a corpse and that if she knows that he's not, he hasn't come back for weeks and now years, even if he, she thinks he's alive, he probably has, he's probably now gone permanently. So I think that, that he's, she says, yeah, he, he's on a different plane. He's different, doing something different with the world right now. And hopefully, I don't know, um, considering the fact that he's hiding in a pocket realm of some sort and he's, and he's hiding in that, in that pocket dimension, maybe he does. And I, this is something that just came up right now in, in my head that I, I never really thought of before. Um, maybe he, he does send dreams to her. You know, I would, I would, I would hope that he would, he would keep in contact with her in some form or fashion, maybe a dream or something to, or a vision of some sort to say, I'm still, I still love you. I guess one thing that's worth mentioning about Garland is, uh, I know people have a sense about the passage of time when you're in the Black Lodge or the White Lodge. For him, as far as I know, uh, the only people he's really directly contacted are, if we're going with part 17, it would be the firemen. But also, if we're going with both season three and the final dossier, is Bill Hastings and Ruth Davenport. And, you know, for for love that they have, I, I'd, I'd have a hard time believing that he wouldn't have some capacity of reaching out to her even indirectly. Yeah, the thing with Betty is that if she basically knew he was still alive, it would uh, either, her scene in part nine would either not make sense or would just significantly uh, undermine it. But there's something about the burnt corpse and teeth where, because, uh, you know, teeth is like such like a prominent mark of when someone's dead. And put aside how weird that whole scene is, I think that with Garland, if there's one thing that he would do to disappear like that it would be for you know everything relative to the cooper doppelganger and this cosmic conflict that he has to deal with so i unfortunately think that not, not not necessarily unfortunate on his end but he had to make that sacrifice to tell the world to tell twin peaks and his family by proxy that he unfortunately died to serve this larger cause there's some about betty where you know it's there's just some about that loving relationship that they have that i just kind of wonder what it was like for her for from this point onward, because mm-hmm. at least in the early days, it doesn't really get much better for her. So I feel like there's just a lot to talk about with like Garland before we get to that. Yeah, I think that um, that she is definitely the mourning widow, but at the same time, and at the same time, she is also trying to remember that that death is not the end. But it's it's so it's, she she would be very much taking it hard, but I think that she has enough to remember that Garland was a good man. Now, even as Catholics, we're not supposed to say definitely that a person's made it to heaven or you know gone somewhere wherever they wherever they're, they they you know ended up in the afterlife. But there is almost a definite that she feels that oh yeah he's a good man he made it to heaven he's fine so regardless of what's going on i think she feels a, a surety that there's a safety in knowing that he's he's a good man and he probably did make it heaven and i think that again the the fact that they were able to be intimate with each other over the course of their 20 some years of marriage the fact that they are intimate with each other in public like the final scene of season two whereas most twin peaks couples are kind of very much separate you know, they kind of feel like even in the public, they can't share uh, intimacy with each other. So I think that 
the, the effect they have in intimate marriage, they had 25 years, really good years together. I think that there is a lot of, because a lot of the things about what happens in that kind of morning that where you are stuck there, like a Sarah Palmer, where there's regret. Now she has a lot of regret of what had, what was not said, what was not done. The fact of the matter that she can't, she couldn't stop Leland, or should she have stopped Leland? Or you know, there was a lot of regret there. And the same thing with a lot of other people who are stuck in their uh, sadnesses during season three. That there's a lot of regret there. With with I think with Betty, she doesn't regret anything that happened with Leland, with not with, not with Leland, but with um, Garland. Sorry, with Garland, because Garland and her had a complete marriage. You know, there there is the sadness about the fact they really couldn't grow old, grow old together. You now be the two old people sitting in those chairs. You now, like in the movie Up, you know, <laughs> where the old couple sitting on the chairs and having that beautiful marriage together, like those two would have too. Um, but I think that they felt like their marriage was complete in some way. I thought that their marriage was, you know, it lasted. It's it it was the most beautiful thing that I've ever experienced. But now. It, 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 it he's he's gone and again military you know you, you, you if you if you get involved in that kind of a marriage you kind of know your husband might not come home one day you kind of know your wife might not come home that day so you know the, how many letters do people get in get in or, or service may come to people's doors you know we've we've had that we had that in 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 afghan in bringing current politics afghanistan and uh iraq and vietnam how many soldiers came to the door and said said i'm sorry mr mr or mrs your spouse is gone you know so is that something that has that how many gold star spouses are there you know and the fact that he was military there there is a certain amount of 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 a wife or spouse uh, a spouse in general having to brace themselves for the event that their husband or their wife might not come home so yeah there is a mourning there is a horror there is a horrible sense of but there's, there's probably, I think everyone who has a spouse in the military probably braces themselves for the day that there might, there, that if their husband or wife goes to, goes to war, there might be a not coming home. One thing that's, uh, you know, the death of her husband is a thing that's on her mind. But uh, in the final dossier, the one thing that really doesn't that rub salt in the wound is that Bobby and Shelly, they head to Reno for a shotgun wedding. And this is a year after Leo's death, but more pressing uh, on the matter is Garland's death. And the thing is that in this, it talks about how the family did not attend. So I would presume that Betty was not happy about the shotgun wedding because uh, Bobby and Shelly give birth to Becky Briggs seven months after this marriage. Was there anything you want to talk about about uh, Betty's factor? Because... Uh, it seems like from what I got from this is that Betty was like uh, a huge factor of taking care of Bobby, uh, you know, with uh, helping co-sign a loan for his first home for his family. But also she would probably be a prominent staple for Bobby as he makes his ascent from where we see him at this point up until becoming part of the sheriff's station. I think that maybe the family didn't. I think that maybe she was a little bit more concerned over the fact that it does eventually probably come out that they have they had been dating before um, Leo, Leo died and even before Leo got shot and became a vegetable. And maybe she did feel a little bit like her son was committing a, a sin. 
you know, because it, it because adultery is one of the seven sacraments, you know, it says the Ten Commandments, I mean, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. So maybe the feeling that, yes, my son has worked on himself that he's not that within the within the 40 without within the um, the two seasons of Twin Peaks, uh, season one and two, we do have that that almost 30 some days worth of Bobby working on himself quite well to the point where he is respectfully a man to the point where he is uh, uh, he doesn't sell drugs anymore. The point where he is getting closer and closer to Garland's vision of him at the end, but there is still one hangup, and the fact that that one hangup is just, he's, he's still kind of committing adultery. With uh, he's still he's still he's still allowing Shelley to commit adultery, and though the fact that there is rather no marriage in in the uh, in the um, relationship between um, between uh, Leo and Shelley, it's still kind of problematic for her that she realizes that this relationship has been going on for such a long time. And the fact that she, that the, that the woman that her son is seeing is, is, a, is a married, was, was at one point a married woman. Yeah. So maybe that was kind of a point of a sore point for her that maybe she was, she's kind of maybe stopped supporting him in a, in a way for that year um in a emotional sense maybe in a in a in a financial sense certainly but maybe not an emotional sense but after the fact that they had a kid you know there's a kid now let's let's let bygones be bygones let's forgive let's move on you know let's um accept the prodigal son back home you know because one of the things again bringing in another aspect of spirituality is um is the is the prodigal son a story now, when in, at the end of this, at the end of the story of the prodigal son, you never really figure out what happens. You know, the son crawls back to his father, says, "Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son." And then the father says, "No, I, you know, forget about that. Let's, but, you know, I, I, I want to be called your servant." The son says, "But I, let's forget about that. Let's put shoes on your feet. Let's put the rings on your fingers. Let's kill the fatted calf. You're home. You're my son still. You're not my servant." And then. The second thing that happens is the eldest son comes back home and he wonders what's happening and he gets a servant and he says, okay, the, the, your, your brother is found and the eldest son doesn't really want to come in. The father comes out, says that your, your brother is now found again. Your, your brother is back home. He's fine. And after the, after the father says that line, the story, the, the parable ends. So we never really know if this if the eldest son goes into the into the into the um, room to celebrate with his father and his brother. We never learn if this if the brother ever strays again. So the immediate forgiveness of Bobby after the after the fact that he has this daughter now is very Catholic of her. To ease into what to talk about her scene part nine, I'm gonna start with like the negative parts in the final dossier and then shift to the positive. So you're mentioning about the extramarital affair on Shelly's end, but one thing that's worth mentioning is that not only was it extramarital on her part, but Bobby was uh, seeing her and was even relatively open about it, even the events of the secret diary. I mean, maybe they weren't necessarily actively open because they were hiding it from Norma by in the pilot, but Laura was able to pick up on the fact that Bobby was seeing her. Laura could pick up on anything. Laura could pick up on anything. I mean, it, it, it's, it was not unusual for me to, for Laura to have picked up on it and no, no one else in the town because I it, there's that one scene in um, season 
two, um, later season two, I think it was right after Garland was um, abducted the first time he returned. And he's in the double R and he's eating the pie and he says, um, and he says, um, this pie is magical or something like that. Or this pie is, is, is one is, was, was very good. And so he said, how was it? And he said, and he says one, a weird description of the pie. And she kind of looks at and says, okay. You know, she kind of gives a little weird, little like oh, eye rolly look. And whenever I do a rewatch, I kind of say, come on, Shelly, this is your father, future father-in-law you're speaking to. Shouldn't you be kind of impressing him at this point? Or kind of like, or this is the guy, this is the father of the guy you're seeing. So by her response to him being what it was, I don't think she, anybody really knows at this point. You know, the, the fact that if she, uh, she's not the kind of person to want to impress anybody, you know, really. Um, but she, uh, you could tell by the way that she was very, you know, blase about her, um, about her entry into the uh, Miss Twin Peaks contest. You know, she doesn't want to really impress anybody, but she knows that she's good. She has to make this big speech and she's nervous about it, but she, otherwise she doesn't really care about impressing everybody. But if there was more known in the in the outer world that it is that Bobby is in Shelly are seeing each other, there would be kind of concerted effort for her to want to impress Garland a little bit more. So, I, so I kind of see that scene as the fact that she knows that he's you know, the man that her father, that her, that her, that the man that, that is the father of her boyfriend, but he doesn't see it that way because he kind of sees it sees her just kind of rolling her eyes at him as any person would at the weird statement that he just made my thing is that uh relative to um shelly and bobby's relationship is that i was thinking that with betty is that uh at some point bobby would at least in some capacity bring it up from post season two up until season three uh you, you know just as a full transparency or just like after years it's like it's fine to talk things out because what we were saying before is that the family, you know, if Garland and Betty could be op that open, transparent with each other, the relationship that Bobby and Betty have by season three, that you would presume that they're very open with each other. They are. I think they are. And I think that I think that they did become more and more honest with each other. But I, I certainly think that they did. They that by that up until probably a little bit before the wedding that I think I even think a little I because you could tell that in the final scene of season two with 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 that with the family and with her and Bobby with with Shelly and Bobby Bobby kind of looks back to check on his parents and they're kind of consumed with each other kind of you know being very intimate with each other so he can kind of toy you know be, be intimate with Shelly without anyone you really seeing so um that kind of says okay they're trying to still keep it on the down they're trying to still keep it rather secret from the world but i would suppose that by the time that chili got pregnant with becky that something had to give you know something had to be told so i think that probably around that time seven months later so there was there was there were there's two months before that point that she was pregnant you know so is there there so i think that's probably when he finally did tell her and then there 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 is that growing of transparency from that point on with um with those two yeah, it's. Uh, I think that for Betty, that uh, what we were saying before is that how she viewed relationships through the lens of what we see with Garland, and then to have her son go to uh, Reno, uh, you know, heading out to uh, heading out to like one of the tacky chapels. That what well, my impression from it, at least, is that that was like for for her. That was just like, no, I can't support this. 
And, uh, yeah, I feel like this would be, I guess for, you know, around this point, a low point for her and Bobby. Like, I could see it being a bit of a contentious relationship. But I do, and I think that the whole Becky being born seven months after this really reaffirms, like, probably the worst of her, of her fears. I would say, though, is I think that putting aside what we see about Becky in season three, that scene, like, no, she has a granddaughter and it's like a thing that can really bring the family together. And also, you know, again, like with Becky, where it's like, you know, she wasn't always that, like, right from birth. Like, there was, like, this uh, Shelly and Bobby, that was probably a thing that made them happy. And then Betty, that was a thing that she could be happy about. Obviously, it puts her in a tough position, because, it, it, like I did mention a bit before, is that Norman and Betty had to help co-sign a loan for Bobby and Shelly's first home. So, there was a lot of, like, sacrifices on uh, on the end of Betty and Norma. But I could see it being one of those things where, even if it was a bit contentious for Betty and Bobby in particular, that scene, uh, basically, Becky grow up and also Bobby become the, be, become part of the sheriff station would actually ease that. Yeah, I think it, de- I did, I think it definitely did. And I think that it definitely would bring um, family together. I think I made a post a long time ago in, 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 in um, around 2020. That'd be around fall 2020 or 2021, where um, I kind of say that a lot of fans like to see Becky as the new Laura, but I don't see it that way. I see Becky as the new Bobby because she probably did grow up like Bobby, very close with her family, very a very good kid. But I think in many ways, Stephen is probably the new Laura is uh, is the one that twists twisted her bobby um laura can be just as abusive to other people as, as stephen could be i think there's a lot of the uh the the fact that the that the bobby and laura relationship in twin peaks season one and two season in pre-season one and two that we see in fire walk with me and in the secret diary is flipped on is flip is, is it gender flipped in season three with shelly being bobby being the trusting person who gets gradually brought into this horrible relationship and getting more and more abusive and more and more her the evil side of her the the evil in her kind of growing a little bit more to the point where I think um and then Stephen being the Laura who is the one who laughs in her face when she says I love you the first time so um I think that's it's, it's gender flipped in this situation and I think also that it doesn't quite help that there's also the remnants of Shelby's relationship with Leo that is kind of also plays into the mix because I, I probably think that there's a, a lot of full transparency about Bobby's past with her. You know, I think Bobby does share a lot about what he went through with Laura or what he went through in his past to, to Becky. But I've got the funniest feeling that Shelly does not share what that, about anything about her first husband. That Shelly does not even does even does even give give um, Becky any bit of of hints about what to look for in an abusive relationship. A lot of a lot of women do say to their daughters, "This is these are the things you should look out for. These are red flags you should look out for when you're a teenager. Don't don't go to this kind of a guy." No, but it turns out I don't think Shelly probably gave um, even with her situation gave. Becky, any any where close to that kind of a talk? I would agree with you. Where it's, I never really had the sense that she was uh, parallel to Laura. Like I can, at least from like the outside looking in, I think I can kind of understand why people feel that way. 
especially that scene in the car where she's looking up with the, the smile on her face and it looks like it, it parallels that shot in the uh in fire walk with me when laura's looking up at, at the ceiling fan with a smile on her face with that high grin on her face and it, it just those two shots look so similar that they can't that they and it's two girls two blonde girls you know smiling like that looking very much out of themselves there's a parallel that happens now I agree with you on pretty much all fronts about that. But yeah, the the thing is that with uh, Bobby, though, is that while there is that general uh, ascent with him and Betty, that there is also, there has to be some sort of dissent with him and uh, Becky, though. And uh, I wasn't sure if you had anything you had to say about Betty, how she factored in with, uh, you know, because we see Shelly and Bobby, they, you know, one way or another, they have to address everything about Becky. Did you have anything, any thoughts about Betty and how... She saw her granddaughter grow up and then maybe there's like the red flag started to kick in. I think that she probably did see it when maybe when she, when Becky was getting involved with Steven, who knows. But uh, like we were like, Betty, like Shelly was saying, I think Becky's seeing the wrong kind of guy, you know, and, and that's more like almost a, or, 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 or I think Steven's just the wrong person for her. She's having problems. Maybe. Um, so I, I think Betty probably was a close grandma with her. I think both both grandmas, because we, for all intents and purposes, Norma's the second grandma, you know, that, that Norma, that I, I would suppose that Norma would be called grandma, you know, and I mean, it was, uh, or some kind of like Nana or something like that, or even Aunt Norma, you know, go and see Aunt Norma. Um, but I, they're, the, the two grandmas are very close to her, I would suppose. I would like to imagine that after season three, and this is, this is my, just my, my own personal imaginings about about a post-season three world with Becky now still alive and Stephen now dead that I think um what happens is that Betty invites Becky to come live with her I I honestly still I honestly see this happening is that in order for her to get out of that horrible um trailer you know even though it's run by Carl Rod who's the sweetest man in the, in the unit one of the sweetest man in the universe I don't think he, she would want him her to stay in that place. So I think that she would say, "Let's let's move you out. You can't stay with with Shelley because who knows what's happening with her in red." And I don't know if you want to stay with your dad because I, it might not be, you know. But, but but move in with me. You know, move in with me, and we'll get you started getting your pick up, picking up your life. So I kind of do see a post season three world where Betty invites Becky to live with her. Um, I do see it. That that is that is my most honest idea of what uh, of any of the storylines I have so firmly in my head of in a post season three post Carrie Page scream world. In that, I do see a bed a situation where Betty and um, Becky are living together. I would love to see a scene with uh, Amanda Seyfried and Charlotte Stewart. Uh, yeah, I know Charlotte. She only had like literally one day to film, so I don't think they could have feasibly had it, even if they did want to. But it would have been a nice contrast of what we see with like Sylvia and Richard Horn in part ten. I guess this kind of leads into the final scene: is that in part nine, Betty, uh, she's awaiting Bobby for uh, you know for for everything we mentioned about Garland's message and vision about him, Hawk, and Frank uh, Truman coming over, and she reveals the device in the chair. And of course, no one really knows how to work it just yet. But there's something about how Charlotte Stewart, how she explains about how far Bobby's come and uh, and how much Charlotte Stewart carried that scene. Because 
I I think it's like one of the most incredible scenes. Like that scene when when she explains everything, you can still tell even after twenty five years that she that love has never been lost. Like I never got the sense that Betty would even consider remarrying. It just never seemed like it was in character for her. But I I love how it's like when when they first come, it's like oh do you want some coffee? And like no 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 we're too busy. But then she explains this story about how far Bobby's come. Almost, uh, you know, basically paralleling his uh, his conversation with Garland in the season two premiere, and you just see just how much that moves everyone. And I, I think Charlotte Stewart, I think pretty much any fan you ask will say that she is like the best part of the scene. But it's a scene that's so good that it almost like casts a shadow of all of her previous scenes in the original series because of how much weight she brought to it. There's many things I love about that scene, chief among which, and it's a weird thing I notice is that the house has been modernized. That, that that she's obviously moved with the times. You know, so out of all of the the older characters in the series, the two people that moved the most with the times, the ones that are, are keeping up with modern conveniences, modern things, modern things is uh, her and Nadine. You know, Nadine has her big computer. She watches, she has her shake and she's watching Dr. Amp. You know, and she's having, and she has this ultra modern store in Twin Peaks. And so is that, and Betty has her, her Apple laptop. I believe it's an Apple laptop, but uh, she has an Apple laptop. She, she has modernized her house to make it look very modern. You know, it looks, it looks, it has that, it has a clean, um, open concept feel. It's very, it looks very different. I mean, they probably did use a different house than, than the one that they used for, um, the, um, original series or even for the pilot and even for um, Firewalk With Me. So there, there there are different houses. I do realize that, but the thing is that the house looks modern. It doesn't look like it's, it doesn't look like um, I like Norma, who doesn't use a computer, who he still uses an adding machine or she uses a, a, a kind of a, a, a weird calculator. You know, you see Big Ed's a gas farm and he doesn't accept credit cards still. You know, and you see, um, and you see a Sarah's house, which besides the big screen TV, it looks like the same house. And everything looks dingy and looks like it needs replaced. I mean, that whole house, that every piece of furnishing in that living room desperately needs replacing. And the, the fact that Betty's house is the modern house, is the house that looks like it has kept up with the times. It does look like an old woman's house too. You know, granted, it does look an, like an old woman's house, but it's it is the modern house. It is the house that has kept up with modern furnishings and things like that. That 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 thing has is the fact that she is keeping up with the world, keeping up with things, and and keeping herself, you know, uh, in 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 a condition where she is still pert and able to, and and able to do things and and not stuck herself in this in this. Um, in this realm of grief and in this realm of 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 the past being the most magical thing in the world you know let's let's keep ourselves in this past situation so that's one thing that i really really enjoy seeing the house looking as modern as it does um the thing but the thing with the with the emotional connection is the fact that yeah i don't see her i would never have seen her remarrying um because frankly there's a lot of people in my you know, and in, in that I know with my parents, you know, even though that they are in their 60s. And so if one of them had, you know, were, were to, you know, die soon, I would not say, I see either of them even 
courting anybody. My um, her my mom's best friend, his her, she's a widow and she's never going to remarry. And the thing is that they've all had good marriages with their with the spouses that I that that they have. So I uh, so I kind of see her having this wonderful relationship with Garland that is equitable to the marriages I know and I've seen throughout my life. And it's something that is again very beautiful and touching and. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't say enough words of positivity towards how this marriage was depicted um, on television, because you often see um, marriages of a religious nature on television, where the either the wife is cowed or the husband is an idiot or or the or the or the or there is some kind of, um, yes, dear, kind of apron wearing person in the in wife but you don't see Betty being the apron wearer you kind of see them having this equitable marriage and the marriage that I see kind of equitable on them to them on television is um, oddly enough on this tv show Chicago Fire with is with Herman and his wife and on, on that show because they too have a good Catholic marriage and they have this equitable marriage and they work well together they work as a unit and Right now, I hope I'm not spoiling anything for anybody who might be watching that show too, but I don't think the Twin Peaks, often Twin Peaks fans would probably coincide with watching that show either. But um, his, wife's, his wife's now going through a cancer issue. And um, the fact that the unit is now being lessened because of her health issue. And the fact that he's still trying to stay, you know, they're still trying to stay the perfect unit, but the health issues coming, the sickness and health. So, um, I think that's the same thing with Garland and Betty. They have this, they, they're a unit. They're not, they, they come as a pair. You know, they come as a pair. They, they will go as a pair. This is something you brought up that didn't quite cross my mind until you said it, is uh, how the house is kept up and what a stark contrast it is. And I think this is probably the best way to show where Betty is at because, you know, you mentioned Sarah Palmer is that the house is like severely neglected. You see that like uh, pretty much apart from the TV, everything is virtually in the same spot as it was in Fire Walk with me. She's still sitting in that same spot. She is still sitting in that same exact spot that she was on the night that Laura died. The other one that makes me think about how stuck she is, is that in part 17, uh, when you see Laura's photo, because it's much more prominently displayed in that than any other scene, it really shows how much time has passed, like how long 25 years truly can be and how she's been stuck in that spot. And, uh, you know, to kind of contrast with Betty is that, you know, you, it's like you said, it's, uh, it is the, it is like the sort of decorative taste of an older woman, but it's clearly in a more modern setup. And there's some about where she's much less emotionally compromised that she had her rough patches, whether it was from Garland disappearing for set periods of time, whether it was, uh, Bobby, in his rough patches and how much uh how much he had to change uh the birth of becky which we don't see but is implied was not the best starting point for her relationship with bobby at that point but the fact that she could like grow and adapt to all this it really says that even though that charlotte stewart didn't have much in the way of screen time that she did really add a great deal yeah and and uh, the fate the i think it was her it was probably that, that her faith got her through there was, a, there was a lot about, I think, that because, you know, one of the things is faith, hope, and love. You know, then the greatest of these is love. And I think that when Garland says that I have the fear that love is not enough, it isn't. You need the other two. You know, you need, you need all three to have this perfect courage of getting through life. And I think she has all three. 
You know, she has the love in her heart to forgive her son for his past mistakes, but also be there for him during the past mistakes and to love her husband and to love the world enough to be involved with the world, to be involved with the world and of, the, you know, in, in kind of with this, this, this loving her, her neighbors and being there for them. Um, and then also being involved, be, having the faith of knowing things are going to be okay, knowing things that, um, knowing that, you know, the future is not mine to take care of, but I, I can, I can affect it in some way. Um, and also knowing that, um, having the hope for the future, because she's always talking about, I'm, we're, we're, she's, there's always this hope in her that I don't see in many of the other characters that have less of that in them. You know, you, you compare it to somebody like Sylvia. You know, Sylvia is also living in a fairly modern house, but also there's this emptiness in that house. You know, there there's an emptiness because she she isn't she has lacked hope, and maybe if they, if even though Richard was the son of Mr. C, the, the, there is definitely a problem with her with him being raised by the horns who don't have any of that in them. We we keep on talking about nature with 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 Richard, but there's a lot of nurture with the fact that it was the horns that raised him. You know, the, the horns that keep on thinking of the past as this golden era because they don't have hope for the future. The horns that don't have love in their hearts because you don't talk, hear them talking about each other in any way, shape or form close to in, in any form of closeness. Uh, uh, the horns that always feel like they are on the edge of disaster because they are they don't have faith in anything. But then you look at, at Betty and the, yeah, there is that scene where or where Becky falls apart and does shoot up Stephen, you know, the, the Gersten's apartment. But at the end, you know, she, she's sitting there uh, after, uh, after that whole incident has occurred. And you can tell it's after the incident because Shelly still has the scratches on her saying, come, you know, why don't you come over and get some pie? You know, Stephen's, you know, Stephen's gone. He's not here. I don't know what to do. Come over, get some pie from the double R. We'll talk it out, you know, or we'll, we'll comfort you. So there is a feeling like, okay, Let's get through this. Let's have the hope. And maybe Betty had something to do with with instilling this hope and love and and faith in the family to be able to have Becky survive Stephen. I think that uh, this really covers like all the bases for Betty and what she brought to it. Uh, was there any other thoughts you had to uh, tie up? Well, one of the things that I always and I, I, I disagree with Charlotte. I know that I probably shouldn't disagree with Charlotte Stewart on this one occasion, but they, she always used to, she always comes to the point where whenever she gets asked about her back, the, the character background, she says, well, I chose Betty to be Catholic because I, I'm Catholic. And I also think that because Betty's Catholic, Garland's military, so Bobby is screwed. And in a way she's kind of wrong with that because the only thing is he's the only one that came and made it out. He's the only one of that generation because of the fact that she's, I think that she has such a good Catholicism in her and not the, not the bad Catholicism that is judgy and awful. And we see too much in the, in, in the mainstream media and we see too much among ourselves. I mean, I, I, I will frankly say that there are some people I know that, or not know personally, but what know of that are probably the, the, the worst versions of Catholicism as you could see. But that are judgy and horrible and not not anywhere close to being good, loving, you know, lo love is patient, love is kind, 
or the good person that love thy neighbor as thyself, love thine enemy, pray for thine persecutors type person um, that is a good Catholic, a good Christian. So I think that her, her Catholicism and her love for her family is the one thing that saved Bobby. And I think the fact that Garland was military and the fact that he was able to instill discipline on his son was is also another thing that saved him from being the lost generation of Twin Peaks. Because we look at the other ones of his generation and they're all lost. Um, Donna takes forever to get much longer than than Bobby does in the secret die in the in the final dossier to even get anywhere near to being reconciled with her father. We look at Audrey, we don't even know where Audrey is in her mind. Laura, of course, is dead. We also look at, at the, the, the Gersten being lost and, and having a relationship with a much younger man. And we also look at somebody like even Mike, who seems like he's living a vapid existence as this, as this pencil pusher. So, we, so the only person of that generation that made it out, that made it out in a positive way, is Bobby. Yeah, and, and uh, I know we were saying before about the uh, about how uh, and you do make a great case about how uh, Catholicism is like a, a huge component for what got Bobby through it. I the one last thing I want to say about Charlotte Stewart, and I think this is what makes Betty so memorable despite her limited screen time, is that when I found out that uh, Charlotte Stewart she would go to the Twin Peaks Fest for free throughout the years because she just loved talking with the fans. Never asked for anything, and uh, and you mean we've met her, and you you get this like very like uh, like this distinct Warm. calming presence that, that that just makes you like that that makes you feel comfortable. I think because when she if she interacts with the fans, she and God rest her Catherine Coulson are the pair are the are like the mothers of Twin Peaks. You look at them as our our mothers and our grandmothers, you know. So and there is something distinctly comforting about mother or the grandmother figure that we we want we 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 look at our grannies and we smile if unless unless your relationship with your granny has been horrible but if you had a good relationship with your granny you smile at her or if you had a, a wonderful relationship with your mother like I, my relationship with my mom is incredibly close you know you, you get that comforting sensation when you see your mom so i think that there is this comforting sensation with her and cat and again god rest her Catherine colson that are the mom the moms of twin peaks there are grandmothers and we feel comforted when they when they were when they were on our present among us. Yeah, no, I think the I think that really sums up everything about Betty and uh Charlotte Stewart. But I guess since we're pretty much winding down though, was there anything you want to plug for Between Two Worlds beyond like the Facebook Facebook group or the blog even? Um, we're we're kind of we're not no, um we're just just join us if if you haven't you know join us read our blog if you haven't i i enjoy writing for it uh there's some articles in there that i think might i think might change people's minds a little bit about how things go in the show um uh, not just from me but from other uh contributors as well to add to that is that i've talked about with other people like uh you know people who i see at cons or see people uh, other fans when i see them in mm -hmm. person but it is brought up about how how much uh, how much unique discourse is on between two worlds because of what you Carl and Shirley Ladder do bring because and, and Christians and Christian Hartleben oh, and of course Christian Hartleben uh, yeah no but yeah there's there's all these people that really facilitate like a real like healthy discourse and the way that they 
Mm -hmm. uh, the way that people invite a more sophisticated dynamic. Uh, it really does. And I, I, I do uh, stand by this is that uh, there is a reason why you have like the amount of uh, amount of people joining the group that you do. Yeah, I, I had um, I have a policy with that. Um, I, if, if, if it's a fandom group, I only join one really solid group in the, in the fandom. And I'm very happy that I joined this one because I, I feel like this one is the group for, was the group for me because of the of the, the, the amount of discourse we have. I, I'm very, very proud of our group and what we do for the fandom. And and it's 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 something that I think is very much serving the fandom in a positive way. I, I would absolutely agree. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to, of course, I'll put the links in for the description below for both the blog and for the Facebook group. But yeah, no, it's uh, so everyone, I would just encourage you to check it out because there's always at least a post that you'll see at least once a week that will change like something or challenge how you feel. And it really is because the, you know, everyone who runs it and the people who are part of it do bring a lot of great conversation. Thank you. But no, I guess uh, since we're finally wrapped up, I want to say thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, it was really great to talk about Betty with you. Oh, I, I enjoyed it. And I was very happy to talk to her about uh, talk about her because, again, her the importance of her being uh, the, a very positive portrayal of Catholicism television is and, 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 and is, is something very important to me as a Catholic woman. Oh, absolutely. But no, uh, thank you again, Pam. And uh, yeah, hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Colin. Together, forever.